Hey, this is Joe Kelly, a writer of Spider-Man Deadpool, and you're listening to Amazing Spider-Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the Amazing Spider-Talk Hello and welcome to The Amazing Spider-Talk. My name is Dan Kavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and currently an editor at Superior Spider Talk. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for a special Essentials episode of Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, for this episode, we'll be discussing our potential Essential Spider-Man comic of the week. This week, we've reached the halfway point of our Essential series. Dan, it's only halfway, my goodness. Uh, (laughs) And we will be discussing your pick, Dan, The Goblin Unmasked from Amazing Spider-Man number 39, number 40, written by Stan Lee and penciled by John Romita Sr., his first story. Uh, And then we will be concluding with some Flash Thompson Flash reviews. And by some, you mean... Too many. <laughs> yes, that's. I, I. I feel like the Flash reviews just need to be their own episode now. <laughs> it's just like we could fill an hour with them, even at a minute long. <laughs> Mark, I'm not going to let you keep on talking, just in case you tear your face off and reveal yourself as someone else. So let's get right into our review of the Goblin Unmasked. Getting to know you, getting to know all about. Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me, getting to know you, putting it my way but nicely, you are precisely my cup of tea. See, I thought you would say you don't want to keep me talking so I don't, like, talk about why I'm father of the year, taking my son to ball games. <laughs> I already know you're father of the year, Mark. Ah, oh, thank you. Well, Dan, uh, this is your pick, and I, I, it, I would be foolish to argue with it, but, you know, just because it's the nature of the beast. Explain to me why you picked these two issues. Well, this is like explaining the obvious, but, uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's explain the obvious here, Mark. Uh, yeah. I mean, first of all, regardless of the content of this book, John Romita Sr. came on this book. And uh, if Dicko created the character, and major props to Dicko, Romita's art really popularized Spider-Man and brought the fun, upbeat attitude with it. And whether you like it or not, it was a hugely successful change that influenced the book for decades. Uh, there's a moment in this book where Gwen says – to Harry and Flash when they see Peter. Now remember, Flash, we all decided to act friendly to him. And it's almost a declaration of things are going to change now. This book is going to be upbeat and fun. Not that it wasn't fun before, 
But it took on a whole different style during Ramita's time. Not only the, the beautiful pencil work that he did that I think was much more accessible, but these characters became friendly and more intertwined than they ever had been before. Yeah, I mean, the social elements were very critical to the story. And, I mean, obviously, uh, the social elements would play a key, a reveal, the key part of the reveal of the Green Goblin. Not that I'm jumping on your, on your toes no, here. No, absolutely. But. I mean, like, Blue is almost, you know, we talked about Blue last week. It's kind of a repeat here. Like, this is the beginning of what Blue would mark as, you know, kind of the... The I guess nostalgic version of Spider-Man, and uh, you know this is where the cartoon came out of this. Like this is the inspiration for so many other things. Um, yeah, definitely. So, uh, and what what else about this comic do you think makes it essential, Dan? Yeah, well, I mean, of course, the Green Goblin reveals his identity here, and Peter gets unmasked to him, and this is the start of I think. You know, Peter had a lot of villains before, but none of them were personal. And uh, and this is where the Green Golem kind of becomes Spider-Man's ultimate ne- nemesis that would go on for, you know, decades later. We're still talking about, like, oh, the Green Goblin issue is coming out and it's going to be huge because that's the relationship that they have. It's b- the personal relationship, uh, you know, uh, forged in this comic. And it would be kind of the uh, you know the place that all Spider-Man's rela- you know villain relationships would move forward from here and any time the character was redone it would be done in this manner where Peter wouldn't just encounter these villains he would have a personal relationship with them and and so this is kind of the beginning of that uh I guess kind of a framework for this series uh enough that it would be copied half a dozen times over with different villains um, just on a very tangential note, Dan, I, I wanted to share here that I have a very uh, f- fond relationship with this storyline, specifically Amazing Spider-Man number 40, because as a, as a young teenager, this was like one of my best scores ever at a comic book show. Um, I, I do tell this story on Chasing Amazing. It's probably one of my favorite, among my favorite stories where I was like, maybe 12 or 13 and like going, going through the, um, you know, somebody's long boxes as, uh, the, the holiday in near me was getting ready to wrap up its weekend, uh, in terms of this little rinky thing comic book show. And, um, I pulled a copy of 40 out and yeah, I forget what the price was, but I knew whatever it was, I was short a few bucks. Um, I think it was like marked at fifty. So I say, and That's I thought a good I deal anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, this was early early nineties, and uh, okay. I mean, you know, it, it it's not in it's not in bad condition, but it's not like pristine either. I would probably say it's probably like a very good fine kind of you know like mid grade. Yeah. Um. But um. So I just went to the, you know, very innocently, I only have $40. Can I give you 40 for it? And the dude was kind of like looking at me like, really? And then he's like, fine, whatever, because he just wanted to get out of there. And then I went into my wallet and I actually had $37 on me. <laughs> <laughs> so I gave him 37 He's just like, get the hell out of here. And like he took it and then was like, fine, whatever. And then like I like. Yeah, went home. It was like I got the Green Goblin origin story for thirty seven dollars. This is like the coolest thing ever. So, um, and you know, the that... early experience of what it's like to have your wallet empty because of buying comics. Exactly, but you know, that was like, I mean, and 
just just further i'm the worst negotiator in the world like this is something that's like haunted me my entire life which is tough when you're a collector so like like that's also like probably like the pinnacle of me as a negotiator negotiator which is basically like take all the money in my wallet that was how i negotiated <laughs> it just so happens it was less than what you asked for it but you could have all the money in my wallet um it's like a so. reverse high school bully <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, so yes, I will always have an affection for this story uh, through that connection. But um, that's great. This, at least this time, you didn't have Aaron pretending to be dumb. No, to, to get you a comic. What's math? Um, no, um, but Dan, like like I said earlier, I, I I find a hard time disagreeing with you with this. I mean, this is a phenomenal story. I mean, it, it's it just sets up so much of this new direction. Um, well, not to mention that it also sets up Harry and Peter's relationship. Like, I don't really know that we ever got another issue that really establishes why they're friends other than this issue where Harry is kind of talking about, you know, how he feels like ignored by his father and 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 all these things. And Peter kind of comes over and puts his arm around him and says, you know, I, I my parents are dead. You know, in, in, a, in a classic, uh, I used to shoot womp rats in my T-16 back home moment, uh, you know, it's like bragging about who has it worse off. But, you know, they, they kind of forge a friendship in that and they kind of realize and it kind of leads Gwen and all of them to realize that Peter might not be such a bad guy. And, you know, and through through that one moment, you've got this friendship that lasts till today in comics. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know. You could always make the point that that the Peter Harry dynamic might be it was kind of there because you know Ramita and Stan made it so, but they made it so and and they stuck to it. So like you know, I mean, yeah, it wasn't terribly organic, but very little was organic in the Silver Age of comics. But um, it's 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 I, I just also really liked the. You know, it's it, this is one of those payoffs where, and we, I talked about this in the column on the site, uh, Dan. That you know, yeah, in, in retrospect, you know, Norman Osborn. I mean, that's a name that carries so much weight in the Marvel universe. But at the time, yeah, you know, he's just a guy. He really was just. A, he was only named two issues earlier, and he was just kind of like this creepy, this creepy businessman, father of one of Peter's classmates, who cheated his businessman is his partner out of out of inventions or patents whatever it was and you know probably deserved to get you know some comeuppance and the fact that this was revealed as like this guy who you know marvel had invested a lot of capital into building this mystery around i mean you know it always makes me wonder like at the time where people kind of like oh well uh, ned leeds couldn't be the green goblin you know <laughs> 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 or uh <laughs> Or what's next? You could be the demon goblin. I mean, you know, like, I mean, it, it is a little kind of, but, but again, this was something where because of the direction the book was going in, the, the Marvel committed to this and they committed to making Norman formidable. And I always liked the fact that like at the end of this storyline, he, he gets the amnesia. So that kind of like adds this other layer of tension that they could always come back to. Cause it's like, what's going to happen when he remembers and, 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 and I mean, like, it's just, it's just, 
a well done story in terms of resolving a mystery, but then setting up a whole new set of stories. And like, it's, it's, it's an art form in terms of that, you know? Yeah, sure. I mean, like at least with this reveal, we have a bit more of a setup than uh, Venom did in issue 300, where it's literally like, here's a guy and here's who he is. You know, in this one, we had seen Norman a couple times before, and he didn't necessarily have a name. Like, we saw him at this kind of club, the, the James Gentleman's Club. Yeah. yeah. Well, not uh, Gentleman's Club, the, the right. <laughs> so, you know, he kind of exists. But yeah, it is a classic mystery where you're like, you don't have all the pieces to solve it, but it still works. And, and yeah, you're right. That commitment to making Norman a character is what really made, you know, in retrospect, it really interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, like like I said, this reveal will be used specifically with goblins like half a dozen times more. You know, even we're even in the middle of one now with who is the man in red. You know, uh, it became a staple of Spider-Man to have a mystery figure acting out. You know, whose face is mysteriously blacked out. Uh, yeah, I mean, and and I gotta think, you know, put on my Marvel his, history hat here. I mean, I almost wonder if this is one of the first true Marvel villain mysteries that that they paid off. I mean, it might be. Yeah, um, I think you're probably right. I mean, you know, certainly like a long term mystery like this. Um, and and what better character to have a long term mystery villain than Spider Man, whose you know secret identity has kind of always been essential to the character. Um, well, it's also important to talk about in terms of that long-term mystery is the relationship between Stan Lee and Steve Ditko and the kind of t- much talked about fire that the reveal of this kind of provoked. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've seen interviews that suggested both two, two, two versions of the story. One was that um, – well, it, it, what was what has been consistent? It seemed like Stan and Steve could never truly come to a consensus about who should this character be, which is, I think, part of the reason why the character was tabled uh, after the, the the Green Goblin Crime Master arc um, from a, a, like about a year earlier. Because I mean, like you know, the Goblin kind of like disappears, like oh, I'm going to reemerge when you least expect it, i.e., when we can figure out what the hell we're going to do with this story. <laughs> <laughs> The thing that I've always seen kind of disputed was that um, whether or not Dicko f- actually left the book because uh, Stan was pushing to reveal the you know we need that we need to make a decision on this. I mean, I don't know. I think from based on what I what I've learned and read about Dicko over the years, I mean, like that that breakup was going to happen regardless of the green cop. <laughs> yeah, right. This is just another log on the fire. Yeah, I mean, you know, like. You know, D- D- Dick- Dicko's personality doesn't strike me as someone that would tolerate Stan Lee for long periods, you know? <laughs> like, no, not at all. Uh, you know, like, I mean, as, as, as fed up as Kirby came with, with Stan, I mean, you know, Kirby seemed more of a, of a kind of a, you know, team player and a soldier to just keep going with it, you know, which is why he probably lasted as long as he did. Um, <laughs> So that's that's yeah that is a fascinating thing and like you know I always kind of saw it as like the ultimate middle finger to to Dicko that that Stan pulled the trigger on this story like the very first issue that he left the book. <laughs> right, right, right. And but although I mean the resolution is kind of uh halfway between both of their desired resolutions. Yeah, I mean Stan wanted it to be somebody and Dicko apparently wanted it to be just a guy and I guess Stan was against that because they basically did 
just a guy for the crime master. It was like, oh, it's uh, and I already forgot the guy's name, Nucky Lewis or something like that. And it's like, who's that? Well, it's not always the you know that famous line. It's not always the butler. Which makes me say, is it always the butler? <laughs> uh, point being, like, it's not always the person you you're expecting it to be. Like sometimes it's just a total out of nowhere figure. Um, which is true. I mean, how, how like, how like Ditko to kind of want it just to be somebody random, whereas like Stan, the dramatist, the, the person who, you know, maybe wasn't always the most pragmatic human being in the world wanted it to be someone with gravitas. So, um, you know, but Norman certainly kind of fell in the middle of that. Yeah, exactly. There's a bunch of other, uh, like, standard Spider-Man things that I love about this story. And I don't know if it's particular to this story, but, like, you know, the title tells you both characters are going to be revealed. And the book starts off with the goblin being like, I'm going to find out his identity. Ha, 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 ha. But then the first check-in we get with Peter, he's, like, got the sniffles. And he's going to go to the doctor to get it solved. Like, what other superhero? Only in Spider-Man would right. a hero be suffering from the sniffles, just like you and me, Mark. Just like you and me. And then, like, kind of also to that point, I love the this setup and this issue of, like, you know, we, we, we six months earlier just finished, wrapped up this very dramatic storyline of Peter needing to rescue his Aunt May with a serum. But, you know, we're going now you know, because his radioactive blood had poisoned her. Um, but now we're kind of going back. Well, May is still not well. And any shock, any shock could kill her, could kill her. So, you know, of course, everything is diverging where, you know, this this sociopath is is stalking Spider-Man to to unmask him and to learn that he's Peter at the precise moment where Peter learns any shock to his aunt, like, I'm Spider-Man, could kill her. I mean, you know, it's that blueberry pie, right? Yeah. And, and then, then that blueberry say. pie moment, like, culminates in a battle in the front yard, which has always been one of my favorite Spider-Man battles of all, because it's just so kind of, like, out there. Like, it's just so, yeah. you know, one, we never see him fighting, like, in a suburban setting, you know, but, like, it's so like exposed. Uh, yeah. And he more or less kind of concedes because he knows if he keeps the struggle up, it's going to lead to a lot of problems, not just revealing his identity, but also, you know, like innocent people getting hurt. I mean, I always kind of found that interesting. I mean, like that, that very f- famous cover image of 39 with the goblin and, and Peter kind of hanging over the side of the glider unmasked. I mean, you know, makes you think that the goblin kind of went in there, whooped his butt, and he did to a certain extent. But also, a lot of it was kind of Peter just being like, "All right, let me just let this guy's just got to take me." You know what I mean? I gotta just go with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> and the, I, lo- the- I love that scene. There's like I don't know when this started, but I, I feel like it started with Romita's artwork. Is that the coloring started to use color gradients, and the way that some of those colors fade in and out on those pages, it's kind of like. Uh, really surreal like it, it you really get a sense of like how out there this attack from this guy in a goblin costume is throwing all these i mean he lets loose a volley of random items that you'll never see again like the ghost and 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 the bats and stuff you know he lets peter have it in the most bizarre of ways 
<laughs> Definitely. No question. Um, no, it's a, it's a great battle. Um, uh, another and, great battle is that great, like kind of like empire state building rooftop battle, um, from earlier in 39 where like Spider-Man is fighting all those goons on the rooftop. There's maybe yeah. like 30 of them. And like, Nobody did it, I think, as well as Dicko and Romita in terms of like having Spider-Man like bounce off the ceiling and off the wall and off the floor. He, you know, you get a real sense that this guy is like different than all the other superheroes by how he like utilizes his environment in unique ways. Always in motion. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then um, I always did find it kind of odd that, I mean, the way that the Goblin uncovers spider-man is he just kind of just follows him like it's just, <laughs> just kind of like yeah why didn't anyone just do this sooner like you know it's kind of like you know scott evil to his to dr evil just shoot the gun you know what i mean like why why didn't you just follow him <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why like, it doesn't happen anymore yeah you know, like like yeah like like he's he's it's, I mean, Spider-Man is so, and you know, Bendis always picked up on this in Ultimate. I mean, like, he's just been so notoriously careless about how he's a hero because of the fact that he's the everyman hero that you would think that everybody would just know who he is. <laughs> but my, my favorite detail of this is that he finds out who Peter Parker is by name by using a, like a, a portable shotgun microphone. Yes, I, I love the, the Goblin is like flying around on this. D- futuristic glider but he's using like a shotgun microphone and headphones and probably a recording tape deck in order to catch this it's so bizarre just to show that stanley did not squelch on any detail Um, it's so not silly that it's silly yes of course this does then set up to asm 40 uh after peter is captured and and i mean you know this is another book when we talk about great fights i mean this the, the that first battle between spider-man and goblin well it's not the first battle but that that to me always feels like that and like the 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 death of gwen issues are like the two definitive goblin battles to me i don't know like i i i that just kind of strikes me. Um, this one is so much more a battle of like words, which is really interesting because he kind of spends most of the issue just kind of goading the goblin intellectually. Yes, absolutely. Um, and kind of getting him to talk and, and like being very churlish to him about it, which you think someone who's tied up, who's not at an event, who doesn't have leverage at that moment, shouldn't be doing that. But it just kind of, I don't know, like, it, it, it kind of like, I mean, this was something that we saw with Romita and Stan too, like kind of giving Peter this confidence again. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I'm talking too much over your issue, Dan. What else do you love about it? <laughs> well, you know, a lot of, a lot of this issue is also spent on Osborne's backstory and, you know, you get a real good sense of, of his relationship with Harry and that transformation scene, I think, is so beautifully rendered where he gets blasted with the chemical and, mm-hmm. and Ramita just draws it in hash marks. And oh, my goodness, like you get a real sense of how much of that explosion really like changed this guy. And, you know, I think in Ultimate Spider-Man, they're a little more explicit about like the goblins transforming him, like making him 
like more like himself, if that makes any sense, like a like a, an exaggerated version of himself. But th- this story is so interesting in this issue because you get the sense that he's kind of this jerk to his son because he really values power and proving to his son that he can like make it on his own. And in a weird way, it's kind of like a repudiation of um, the Ayn Rand philosophies of Dicko in that like Norman is kind of the ultimate like, you know – I'm going to prove my own worth and only really care about myself character. Um, But like after the transformation, they say like, you know, it's really damaged his brain and he doesn't see it that way. He's like, Oh no, it's only made me better, you know? And it, you get the sense that maybe the, the goblin serum didn't really change him all that much. It just allowed him to really be more of himself this kind of manic egomaniac yeah. guy, you know, yeah. I, mean, I like that a lot. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and I like your point about kind of a repudiation of, of Anne Ram, because that was obviously what Dicko was best known for um, in terms of his run, you know, like it's, it's, it's another character. And, and, and just to that point, it's another character in Spider-Man rogues gallery that kind of has that I'll show them, attitude chip on his shoulder which is like you know obviously how peter came into this world you know and 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 anytime you can kind of offset the the, you know power and responsibility with that kind of attitude like what would peter would peter have been norman osborne if he continued on that path before uncle ben died you know what i mean like i mean we we say that a lot with otto octavius because they're both men of science but like you know if peter had found a way to truly you know, make, make, make a living, make money, become famous as being this, you know, television star, you know, would it, would he have become a jerk to his children and to his aunt and to his uncle? And, you know, it's just something to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things I really like, I mean, you get this great fight where they just kind of throw everything that they've got at each other and the flames are, are building up. But, you know, after he's defeated, there's a great moment of humanity from Peter where, like, you know, normally you'd beat up a villain and then you turn him into the, you know, police. But with the amnesia angle, it allows Peter to have a moment of humanity where he tosses the mask into the fire and, you know, doesn't just, like, defeat this guy. He ends up saving him, you know, uh, and doing something truly heroic in that he feels like he's giving this guy a new lease on life, even if years down the road, Norman proved that he didn't really deserve it, you know? Absolutely. And, and, yet, and yet another decision that would haunt Peter. Yeah, but <laughs> even in this comic itself, it kind of haunts him because he comes – he comes back to find that his aunt has suffered a, a you know a shock, and the and the doctor scolds him. Yeah, says you know like where were you? And you know it's that classic Spider-Man ending where he does the right thing, but it ends up costing him. You know, in the run, I always think back to the Crusher Hogan mm-hmm. issues. You know that mm-hmm. that that twisted ending. But then there's another ending here that I just find so heartwarming, where Peter is looking over the bed at Aunt May, and then simultaneously Harry is caring for his father and it it kind of cuts to the core of what Spider-Man would become, which is like really a story of relationships and that, you know, Norman Osborn is somebody to somebody else, you know, and somebody else that, you know, will eventually mean something to Peter. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, anything else on this book, Dan? I don't know. I mean, I, we could go on forever about Romita's artwork, but like, you know, this is his first time on the book. What do, what do you think about like him transitioning into this book? You know, it's funny. I always felt like when you look at um, 39, it, it, I, I feel like Romita was still kind of trying to soften the transition from Dicko to him. Like I find like his characters are a little more kind of spindly for lack of a better word. You know what I mean? Like, especially like that opening splash page that you were referring to earlier of the goblin kind of like laying out his evil plan. Like oh, yeah. that felt, that felt very, um, He's that like felt a like witch. A, yeah. It felt like a Dicko splash page, you know what I mean? And like, it was almost kind of like, um, but it really didn't take long for Ramita just to be like, hell, I'm John Ramita. I'm going to draw this my way. Like you said, like that, 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 that wonderful rendering of the chemical explosion. I mean, that was in 40. And like the, that to me is more of like the Ramita artwork that I, I grew accustomed to. You know what I mean? Like it just, and it kind of just, you know, rolled from there in terms of him being more creative and edgy and kind of playing with colors and shading and gradients and all that. I mean, it's, you know. Well, by 41, issue 41, Peter would be a straight up hunk, you know, like he would be straight out of a romance novel. Like there's images where you look at him, you're like, this guy is like way too cute for this. (laughs) But, uh, you know, so be it. it. It definitely opened up this, this story for a much larger audience. No doubt, no doubt. Well, Dan, lovely pick, my friend. I, uh, I, 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 I have no complaints on this one. All right, I'm hopeful about this one too, which, right. which you can't say about a lot of my picks. <laughs> <laughs> you got this one right, damn it! All right, all right, all right, Dan. Well, we go from classics and essentials to Flash Thompson. Mark, uh, you know, Flash, he got taken away from us, you know, in a in a pretty stunning uh, – uh, we got pretty harsh rebuke from Betty Brant a couple weeks ago. But, um, you know, have you, have you heard from Flash at all? He kind of went into that rehab program. Well, let me just make it clear that I'm still feeling like the ice crystals from Betty Brant. I mean, that was like one of the chilliest receptions I've ever gotten in my life. That was uh, harsh. It was some harsh words. It's terrifying, but um, as as it were, despite Betty's um, discouragement of 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 this of our relationship, uh, I actually got a letter in the mail because I I don't even think Flash knows what email is um, from Flash. Let me know how he's doing. Awesome. So, Can you read it for us? Yeah, and and um, you know, just to kind of you know, I'm I'm sure everyone is. We're kind of disappointed that we haven't had Flash on in a couple of weeks. So I'm actually I'm going to do my best Flash imitation as I read this letter. So I, I apologize. It probably doesn't sound very good. Um, but this, let me let me just do the best I can. Dear Dan and Mark, uh, so I heard Betty came by and uh, was very mean to you. I am sorry. 
I am in the apology phase of my program. Uh, the next phase will be the acceptance phase. What I'm accepting, I don't know. But just forgive me and know that Gavazdin is a moron. Ha, ha, ha. Sincerely, Flash Thompson. Mark, your impression of Flash Thompson is terrible. It sounds nothing like him. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's pretty pretty lame. I'm sorry. But well, I, 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 do, I do think that if I was close on anything, it was the, that Dan Gavazdin is a moron. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, I mean. Now, don't you start on me, too. Yeah, but um, so again, I apologize to everyone for my lousy um, reading of a flash letter. Um, I, I, I can vouch she actually spelled all the words right. Um, and it doesn't look like he's like trailing off. So maybe, maybe he's getting better. He even uh, made it kind of sound like a, a normal cadence of someone speaking with some us in there. Or, or were you just <laughs> having some trouble reading it, Mark? I was just having trouble reading it, Dan. All Stop. Right, all right, all right. <laughs> don't, re- don't reveal who's behind the curtain, Dan. Come all on. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's get into our Flash Thompson's Flash reviews in memorial of, of Flash's. <laughs> Going into rehab. So uh, the first one we're going to do is uh, Spider-Man number two. Yes, Spider-Man number two. Spider-Man two proper. Yes, that is the Miles Morales Spider-Man series, issue number two. All right. uh, So, Mark, you were kind of mixed on it last time. Am I correct? Yes, I was. So why don't you you lead me in and I'll, I'll let you know how mixed it up I am this time around. All right. Three, two, one. Well, I'm sure the buzz about this book is really focused on Bendis' on-the-nose analysis of Miles not wanting to be the, quote, black Spider-Man, unquote, and with good reason. But what stuck out to me more in this issue was that uh, there was a lot more work going towards showing Miles' struggle acclimating to this new world, which I think is important. Like, Peter, nobody trusts him, but he's also dealing with trying to fill the role of a hero who's very much present and important, which is kind of the polar opposite of what he dealt with uh, in the Ultimate Universe. I still wish more aspects of the status quo were, were laid out for me, like who remembers what, and, and can we also give it a rest with the Venom Sting being like the most potent weapon in the world? Uh, but otherwise, this was a fun follow-up from the first issue, so I'm going to say fan club certified. All right, Dan, I can't find my countdown clock because I'm special like that. Oh, there it is. Uh, <laughs> woo! All right, so I'm going to uh, kick you off in three, two, one. Well, Mark, while I still feel like this story is spinning its wheels a bit and covering a lot of territory already explored in the wonderful Spider-Man book you know, by the same creators, there's no denying the level of craft displayed on all fronts here. Not only do we get a great Miles story, but this is the most naturally I've seen Peter Parker as Spider-Man portrayed in a great while. He has an interesting arrogance and elitism that I would expect from Peter when dealing with someone like Miles, and it should make for an interesting relationship that we've never seen before in a Spider-Man book. I'm excited to see where this series goes, so long as they, like you said, don't keep using that Venom sting. You know, he also has invisibility, so let's give it, you know, give it a break here. But mm-hmm. I love the callback to ASM 42 at the end of this issue, so I'm going this one fan club certified. All right. So now we're into Spider-Gwen number six. All right. Three, two, one. 
After some middling installments, I feel like this is another instance where Spider-Gwen gets back on its footing and returns the focus to where it belongs. The titular character! As I said before, I still don't feel like we know enough about Gwen as a person to spend all this time away from the main character as we have been the last few issues. But here, we learn a lot more about the character, what motivates her, why she's doing what she's doing. And, of course, we get a great exchange between Gwen and her father at the end, which is something the series has been sorely lacking. Uh, so, positive direction for me, fan club certified. All right, Dan, three, two, one. Well, uh, you know, like you, Mark, I, I still find the details of this story really hard to keep track of. And I, I thought that the bio at the end of this book really helped kind of pull it all together for me. But, you know, that being said, again, like you, I thought that this was a really beautifully written ending to a story that allowed Gwen to solve her problems, not with her fists, as she did with Peter in the in the beginning of the story, but with her compassion and care. And that's the kind of writing I like to read, especially when it marked a real growth for the character like it did here. So, you know, if, if Latour and Rodriguez can keep putting out books like this, Spider-Gwen, uh, you can win me back over. So I'm going to call it Fan Club Certified. All right. Spider-Man 2099, number eight. All right. You were pretty harsh on number seven, and last week you kind of hinted that you liked this book a little bit. So tell us why in three, two, one. Yeah, Dan, for the first time in a while, I was actually pretty interested in the Miguel O'Hara comic, probably because the narrative stopped trying to mix in gimmicks and crossovers like the Inhumans and 2099's Captain America, and instead put the focus back on the main character again. This seems to be a recurring theme here. Uh, also, there's some unresolved plot threads from the end of the last volume and the beginning of this one that were addressed. I still have larger questions about how much longer a 2099 book should rightfully exist in the current Spider Office dynamic, but those are concerns left for another day. In the meantime, I legitimately enjoyed this issue and Miguel's fight with Man Mountain Marco and all the stuff with Tempest. I feel like some plot points were finally advanced, and that's good enough for me. Fan club certified. Dan, return the favor in three, two, one. Well, finally, Peter David starts to bring his plots together, and, you know, guess what? I cared about the story again. <laughs> Surprise! Uh, and I thought also that the artwork took a huge step forward here, and I'm really actually anticipating seeing where this book goes again, especially since I got a feeling that it's actually headed towards some kind of a conclusion. If that means the cancellation of the book, whatever. But I like to see all these plots wrapped up. And, you know, like you said, the addition of Mountain Man Marco, who I can't honestly think of the last time we saw that character, it kind of stunned me. I love the fight. I love seeing that character again, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but fan club certified. All right, Dan. All we're right, ending Joe Kelly's big book here. Yeah, we're wrapping it up with Spider-Man Deadpool number three. All right, three, two, one. I hope I'm not coming out of left field here, but after a couple of really great issues of fun and quips and things that we haven't seen in Spidey comics for a while, I actually felt a little disengaged from this specific issue. Yes, the quips and fun are still there, but the main thrust of this narrative seems to be stuck in neutral, which is starting to cut back on my enjoyment of the series. Moments of this comic left me wondering if Joe Kelly's presence on this book is more because he wants to write Deadpool again, and Deadpool's certainly a hot ticket to write right now, uh, and Spider-Man is more of a secondary edition, making this feel like a Deadpool series featuring Spider-Man. I could be picking nits here because when he's on, Kelly does both characters well, but the series is coming across as too much as like a mini-series concept with Deadpool as, as the main vehicle, uh, and I, I just don't see where this is going to be going in, in terms of an ongoing, so I'm going to actually say puny 
Tony Parker. Oh, that is surprising, Mark. I'm sorry. Don't hate me. Three, two, one for you. Yeah, Mark, I, I agree. I think this is definitely a Deadpool series with Spidey as kind of like per, a permanent guest character. But um, I think positioning Spidey as the straight man of this team really works. At least it does for me. I don't know much about Deadpool beyond what we learned in the movie and the few comics that I've really loved over the years. But uh, I really relish the opportunity here to learn more about his world and his unique perspective. And I like that he's not just a walking joke, although he is for most of the time. But there's some real heart here that I think may be rubbing off on Peter. The scenes with his daughter I thought were really kind of touching. And I had no idea that character even existed. So, um, yeah, I'm all in on this book. Though, yes, I agree with you. It does read like a miniseries rather than an ongoing. So I'm calling this one Fan Club Certified. All right, Dan. Well, um, we have no more comics to talk about or letters from Flash to read. So uh, why don't we uh, take it to the to the bridge, so to speak? Yes, that. <laughs> Are you talking about pushing Gwen or this podcast off the bridge? Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You sick, twisted person. <laughs> well, uh, as we're plunging to our death here, uh, you can find all of our new amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play by searching Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please make sure you leave us a rating and comment to let us know how we're doing, and we'll be sure to read those on air. And if you have any opinions on these comics that we discussed today, the ASN 39 and 40, or any questions in general, be, sh- be sure to email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com, call 9RedGoblin, or tweet at us with OK to print, and we'll address and read them on the air. Yeah, and be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages and to subscribe to our sister podcast, The Ultimate Spin, uh, to keep up with the adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales in more than just one-minute clips. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And also, don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider-Talk Members Club to help us support the show. Last week, we talked about Civil War and our feelings about Spider-Man's appearance in that new trailer. So uh, go check out that members-only episode of the show. And you could also, this week... Uh, We'll be announcing on the next show uh, the winner of our contest for the three awesome posters, including an Alex Ross 75th anniversary of the Fantastic Four poster you can hang on your very barren walls in your apartment. I'm imagining they're very barren. That's just because yours are barren, Dan. They are, but that's only because I just moved. They'll soon be covered in Spider-Man artwork that my girlfriend can look at and go... Am I living why, with a man or a boy? Why am I living with this man, right? <laughs> um, well, you know, where we can ponder more things about your life and what you're thinking, Dan, where can we find you on the internet? Well, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk or read all the Spider-Man-related writing that I do and all of our wonderful contributors do at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. How about you, Mark? Yes, as one of your wonderful contributors, you can find me at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com and on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. Mark, when you were a kid, uh, did you ever own one of those like junior chemistry sets, you know, where you kind of mix things and they would explode and foam and, and, and all that stuff? Um, well, yeah, I, I, you know, my, my, my Uncle Ben uh, got me one of those sets once. He also got me a, a, a computer, too. Um, that was in the uh, revised version of my story. Did he give you uh, a, a microscope? 
Uh, yeah, it was a microscope, but then the, don't forget about the computer. But, but, um, you know, I bet, I bet my uncle wish he didn't give me that little junior chemistry set. Do you know why? Why? I'm sure it, it, it results in terrible tragedy. You know, you're making light of my, my family history, which I don't appreciate, you know, like, like, you know, I, here I am every, every week pouring my heart out about my childhood and my upbringing and all the horrible, shocking ways my uncle ben has died and you're just making jokes you know first like, flash and now you i'm turning everyone against me yeah pretty much well let me tell you something dan you know without you laughing like who laughs at these stories certainly um, not me no no so um yeah so i i had this junior chemistry set and you know i was like maybe like nine or ten at the time i really didn't know what i was doing so i went to my uncle ben uh for some help and you know he was he was kind of puttering around with it uh and then like the met game came on and like look i mean like i was good in school and stuff but i i I always loved watching baseball um you know and uncle ben always wanted to talk to me at the games i was always like there's a game going on why are you talking to me um you know it was a very interesting thing and so i went in the other room and i just heard this this horrible explosion and of course, I mean, Uncle Ben is completely, I mean, chemical fire everywhere. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, that was it. He's, he, he, he died. Uh, and well, but, but before he died, he, he, you know, started talking about like wanting to put on a green mask and, and a purple hat. And I'm like, what, what are you, what are you talking about? Oh my goodness. The chemicals have, have warped his brain. He's, he's talking like a crazy person. And he was like, you're right. I am crazy, but I'm, I'm sane enough to know one thing with great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next